A few weeks ago, I met with uh, filmmaker John McNaughton and with uh, historian and musician Paul Petraeus to talk about the old-fashioned days footage they shot in Roseland in 1970. What follows is excerpts from those two conversations. Yeah, I discovered at a late age that I was my own singer. Mm. I've been writing and playing forever and always yeah. working with lead singers yeah. and the lead singer syndrome. You know. <laughs> what is the lead singer syndrome? Pick me up, I won't move any gear, I don't like the set list. Oh, like prima dot, kind of peacock, totally. whatever, yeah. Totally. Like everybody so says, I'd like make Jagger. It, I, yeah, <laughs> I was in the UK being key to somebody else's mix, touring, we're sponsored by Marshall Amps, you know, we're doing the proper yeah. two-week tour. So all told, I played 49, 50 gigs in the UK, which is cool. Mm. Met great people. Found out what English beer I like. Mm. You know. <laughs> but right about that time, our lead singer, a prima donna, got sick. I'm proclaimed, man. I got Vegas throat. He's running all of these Vegas throat. <laughs> you know, he's running all these cliches past me. He said, "All right, I'll I'll sing." Uh huh. Richard, I love your voice. They thought I was him. They didn't care that I was a different guy. So. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, and then when I'm in London, they go, oh, your, your accent's so lovely. You sound like Lou Rawls or Muddy Waters or somebody. I said, what? I gotta come to this town more often. You know, yeah, yeah. They what, really what, what band was that? It was called the, the Richard Black Project, but then I went over with my band Paul's Broken Radio, and that's the name I re-upped with mm. for this power trio. Cool. Marshall Amps, Buzzstones, Wawa, black drummer, young bass player, who plays with a thumb pick. <laughs> huh. No, 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 nowhere near progressive or jazz. Yeah. More Ramones than Weather Report. But, but we do we do Muddy Waters stuff. We play No Perfect Chuck Berry. Yeah. Mixed greens with chicken. Yeah. So I'm a serious musician, but you know I I can't use music to make me happy. You know, yeah. it, you know family life is important, and now that I got a great scanner, mm. I'm reviewing my 30-year career as a photographer. John and I, we were selected as the two up-and-comers out of art school, out of art major. You said you guys school. were sent to like summer programs? Like, yeah, we got this great IIT summer program. IIT doesn't, yeah. the Institute of Design is no longer undergrad, yeah. it's, it's post-grad, so they don't get any young ideas at all. <laughs> we, we're sophomores in high school. You yeah. Know? Who's more cutting edge than, you know, you know that age, 15, 16? So we take the bus, and we thought we were going to go to an Institute of Design for four weeks. Just to tell you what, uh, there's so many of you, because you know there's a lots of great schools and high schools. And yeah. So he said, your first two weeks are going to be at the Art Institute. And I'd been, I'd gone to school at the Art Institute when I was seven, eight, and twelve. Oh wow. Saturday school, you know. Mm-hmm. Tried everything. Yeah, I did stuff like that when I was a kid. I got sick. Uh, you know, so I, 
I was at the Art Institute in 57 when they were just building, sounds like ancient history, but it is. Um, the school was so archaic, you know, you had these mad German teachers mixing their own oils and the linseed oils coming down the hall and, and they were chastising students by Was the Columbus at building, the uh, is that when they built the Columbus building in the 50s? What? The one attached to the back of the museum. That was just about to go in, that was kind okay. of modern. Uh, that was a little bit later, that was the 60s. The, the same 60s architect that did that edition did the edition for Chicago Historical. Oh, okay. Same spiral staircase in both. Mm. Hey, I got this design. Yeah, we'll take one of those, give us a haul like that. Mm -hmm. You know, museums get great ideas at the same time. Sure. For some reason. So anyway, we were meeting all these great kids from the other side of Chicago. You know, uh, uh, Jewish princesses, uh, 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 crazy seven-foot-tall basketball players from, from you know, DuSable, they were fantastic mm. artists, but nobody took him seriously, you know, just... See, a big guy looks like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. We're, we're at the, the live... We're doing all the classic stuff. We're doing the... We're, we're doing live models out sure. there by the fountain, you know, we've got easels and all that. He's just drawing Playboy nudes out of his mind, and the oh, yeah. it in and it's, <laughs> these most well, no, these gorgeous Nubian princesses, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, spread leg, full yeah. beaver, you know, nothing modest. He goes, here's what I've been working on. And, oh my. So two weeks in the Art Institute, which just drives a 15-year-old guy nuts because there's all these European chicks coming in. Mm. Oh my God. There's And there's no girls at IIT, so yeah. even after... Going our separate ways, we always went back to the Art Institute for, you know, inspiration. <laughs> so, um, I saw the Art Institute. I didn't even want a scholarship to the Art Institute, and I turned it down because they didn't have a photo program, and I wanted to go to IIT where my dad went. Mm. So I was flunking a lot of things until I discovered the darkroom. Then all of a sudden, my one credit hour of photography got an A. Mm. Everything else, I just let it go. And uh, even though I like clay mm -hmm. and I like the chalk work, love chalk. Um, <laughs> one of the teachers was Paul. You don't have a lot of talent, but you're real clever. Wow. So I said, wow. Okay, dude. That's when it was nine. <laughs> Back for a compliment, but faint but, praise. But, the, but the, cam the camera was very good for me. Yeah, you know, my dad gave me a Roloflex two and a quarter mm. Zeiss lens, you know, uh, for graduating high school. And uh, three years later, I was darkroom assistant at a downtown photo lab, you know, doing Sears catalogs. And mm. I was a uh, craftsman hand model. Mm. Manly, stubby fingers, <laughs> bass player hands. So got married, went on the honeymoon, and came home a day early to shoot Old Fashioned Days. And what was the idea? Because that, that was the thing you had grown up with? They, they, was that a yearly thing, the Old Fashioned Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody dressed up in old-timey costumes. Bargains would come out on racks, on the, mm -hmm. but for a mile. Yeah. This wasn't just one block. This was, you know, <laughs> from 100, 107th to 100 and shit, more than a mile. Um, and there'd be bands set up in front, 
you know, you'd, uh, at night you have barbershop quartets strolling down the down the road. It was, you know, it was mad. And the old timey costumes were like what, like 1800s? 1890s. Type? Like, like, just yeah. your generic uh, sweet Adeline, my Adeline. Like barbershop quartet type. Yeah, just okay. generic history, not specific. Okay. In, in the early days, the Hollanders who settled our place would have Holland recreations with really? the, the weird wingy hats mm. and the. <laughs> Do you know? How long it had gone on? Was it your whole childhood like you had it, or? It started at, at the community centennial. Rosen's a farm community mm. settled by, you know, Europe was emptying yeah. in 48, 49. Just sure. everybody was coming in. And so many were coming in, they couldn't tell Deutsch from Dutch, you know, mm. so they thought the Hollanders were Germans and. Uh, the lingua franca of the taverns was uh, what they call Low Dutch, just like pidgin English, German, mm. Dutch combined. Hmm. So the Hollanders come down the road, they see a bunch of land they want, they go to the nearest tavern owner who negotiates the land deal in, you know, in Low Dutch, and they start farming up here in 1849 and doing underground railroad stuff, and you know, just generally just. This little piece of Europe right out here. Right. And uh, the American view is the Hollanders would be the last to assimilate. Mm. Hollanders would be the guy with the little clay pipe who put his foot up on his horse at the end of the road looking the other way. <laughs> I'm not Dutch, but I grew up with him. Yeah. And I worked on the Dutch Heritage Commission, and that's how I found out of all this. But all these celebrations that went on Michigan Avenue was just parades were a big deal. I just got the feeling I caught the tail end of it. Yeah. You used to have parades with streetcars and shit, you know, streetcar line out into the woods by the river, and then everybody comes back the same way. Mm. Kind of a steampunk, you know, where you could go anywhere. You know, it's just kind of wild. Then the tracks would just end and they turn it around. But they all go out to picnic groves. But the 100 year centennial in 1949, the year I was born, was a big deal. So they had pageants and books were published and huge parades. And there's some uh, Kodachromes of that parade. They're really rare. So the parade we saw was the one where White Flight had been going on for a couple of years. Yeah. So you're seeing a neighborhood that's still half and half. Yeah. In 1970, this is yeah, the, one, yeah. the one that you shot. Yeah, yeah. So did you have a, I mean, did you have a, any big idea about what you were shooting, or was it just... Well, I knew it would be awesome, and I knew we had way more stuff than we knew what to do with. Mm -hmm. It's taken this long to know what to do with it. Right. It's a black and white documentary. But uh, Bob and John agree, we're going to show this and record people's reactions to seeing the footage. Yeah. It's going to be a much better thing than fastback Mustangs lurching off the, you know. Mm. There's tight pants, there's uh, afros, there's uh, ancient Dutch farmers walking along with palsy. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a human comedy. Uh, so what brought it full circle was um, I did my thesis 
on the first photographer in our neighborhood. Because mm. I was lucky enough to talk to two Hollander sisters that live next to us. Mm. I said, look, I'm trying to run down this information about this old time Rosen photographer, Henry Koopman. Mm -hmm. And the old lady says, uh, yeah, I had my portrait taken by him. He was upstairs and he called down the stairs, next victim. Mm. And she says, talk to his daughter, she's in the old folks home. This is after six months of me writing to every Koopman and, you know, mm. my version of a search, right? Sure, yeah. And uh, they're the ladies next door. Just bullshit. So you always, you always get a bullshit with the ladies. <laughs> Let them know you care yeah. and get a different perspective. So I met Mrs. Rollins, who was in an old folks home. An old folks home used to be scary, you know. Mm just dorms with nobody at the front desk yeah rooms rooms and no doors and she was so delighted that a young person wanted to do history she gave me all of her archives just wow. said here here's my daughter's phone number she's a geography teacher I went back told my prof Arthur Siegel mm. you know he was mentor for me he was mentor for uh, Richard Nickel you know so I caught the tail end of that golden age of yeah. IIT. And uh, Siegel goes up, for God's sake, when are you seeing her again? I said, oh, maybe next week. Take a picture of her. Yeah. Yeah, so I went took a picture of her. And then five days after that, she went into dementia, didn't recognize me, started yelling at me. So, so you I'm, just caught her in time. Yeah, so her old man took the first ones, and I took the last one. <laughs> And me and the uh, the daughter, Mrs. Gindle, who's still alive in Florida, hmm. we uh, cataloged the local uh, historical society's archives that Koopman was part of. Hmm. Thanks to White Flight, the historical society stopped meeting just as soon as I found out about it. It's like, hmm. here I am, I joined, and then the meeting stopped. <laughs> so. They saw you coming, huh? They did, that's it. <laughs> That's something John would say, actually. John and I get along very see eye to eye on many. He's always things. been the same guy. Yeah, I I, I bet. When, when he was uh, he when he and I were in our first garage bands, we both like esoteric stuff. He liked Coltrane. I like Jimmy Smith, mm -hmm. and I like Muddy Waters. So they make fun of us. You guys don't yeah. really listen to that stuff, do you? Yeah. <laughs> it's not as cool as Eric Burden. You know? Yeah. Huh. So how many people were shooting? Um, um, me, Naughton, and Quist. Bruce Quist, who still does photography. He and John shared that studio in 1370 Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. You know, I like anything with Tommy Lee in it. You know, he, he was right here shooting The Fugitive. Who? Mm -hmm. I saw Harrison Ford going down the staircase at the museum while they were filming The Fugitive because I was in school then. And he gave me the, the weariest look. Like I looked and he knew I figured out who he was. And I didn't, I didn't say anything to him. I let him He walk. almost broke his knee trying to hurl one of He was running along the, uh, the roof there. Yeah. You see him running the roof, it's those roofs. That, and he caught a firewall and he went down hard. Yeah. It almost stopped production. It was. <gasps> The talent. Craft yeah, Services yeah. is right here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they did night shooting, which I they never use. 
but yeah. they paid us to use our front porch as a uh, sure. as a location for a big spotlight. Yeah. It was exciting shit. But movies don't come here enough. You know, yeah. we get about one a year. We get little commercials, but you don't even know you're being filmed nowadays because people walk by with their phone and. And all of a sudden, that's a sure. Yeah, I mean, you can, a photo crew. you can shoot a professional-looking movie on an iPhone. I've seen them. I know. Kind of amazing. <laughs> Talking to those sometimes photographers that were all let go. And mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the sometimes at this point is half of a an office group. Like they had, they shared, they're shared, they're in the West Loop now. The readers part, you know, it's the same company. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, and it's it's amazing how little space a, a quote-unquote major city paper takes up at this point. I always like Hunter Thompson. What what whatever hotel room he was in was the national editorial desk. Sure. You know, he carried that conceit with him. Well, yeah, yeah he's way ahead of his time that way because he had the Mojo Wire too. He had, was the first to have a a, a, a fax machine. Mm. It would take four minutes per page. <laughs> it's going straight from there to Jan Wenner's desk. And, yeah. Um, no, movies are cool. It's just they're too much like opera. And to me, I, I don't even, I can't even tolerate opera. Opera's hard. Hmm? You know, the vibrato with the voice? Oh, yeah. And the shouting and the yelling? Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you on that. <laughs> My parents, being good Lithuanians, had a nice collection of Caruso mm. and a really big record player. You know, there's pictures of me with just my head in the speaker, you know, future rock and roller. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> my dad had Boogie Woogie Records, which was really hip. So he's my patron of the arts. Yeah. Here, here's Boogie Woogie. Let's build an amp. Here's a rolly cute girl you're married, you know, just go off and do things, so. <laughs> he was a, a rocket scientist. He worked on uh, radiation instrumentation for the first half dozen American satellites. Wow. Yeah. He brought a box home once, gold-plated, was on the Pioneer, and he said, look, we got our names on it. They chiseled in it. So he took us down to... Just made sure our minds were blown. He says, come on, let me take you to work. So we drove down to Cape Canaveral. Mm. In time to see Gus Grissom go off. Wow. Yeah. Seems so ungodly loud. But compared to the Saturn now, that must have just been a yeah. just a little fart. <laughs> and he stayed, how long did he stay in Roseland? Did they stay in Roseland? He wound up working for us us. Uh, Sperry and then Hewlett Packard and uh, just before white flight happened he said tell you what we want you to head up a new sales office in Cedar Rapids Iowa we'll pay for your move we'll buy the house just get out there so they avoid they avoided that unpleasantness because they had already sold for a good price mm -hmm. and me and the missus uh, held on to the house till it was sold and our band rehearsed in the living room with the white rug. <laughs> and we had big parties where we covered everything with plastic. So I was, I was doing more rock and roll than I was visual stuff because I was I was darkroom guy at the historical society. You know, mm -hmm. I was printing dead guys' negatives every day. I wound up just seeing everything. 
one of the things that came up when I was talking to John on Monday was how, yeah, he said when he'd gone off to U of I, and he'd come back and the, the, the grade behind him basically at, the, at Fanger, was the, the racial switch flipped. Like Absolutely. almost very, very dramatically, like within a, he, he thought it was like within a year or, or two, suddenly. Depending on where you were at when the wave came in, you know, the wave broke over Hyde Park and just continued. It, yeah. It's a, it's a mappable phenomenon. Yeah. But in terms of percentage for our high school, 5% black to 5% white in four years. Right. So. That's, that's crazy. A, yeah, it's and, crazy and that, that and that just means that the tax base disappears along the main strip, which is Michigan Avenue. So yeah. this is the last cruise down the Ave. You know, this is uh, the mating ritual. This is the main street. This is the high street. And uh, there were big plans in 1970 to replace all the lightings and, and do yeah. a mall sort of thing. Uh, that was 70 and 71. There was a half-ass street fair in '72. Chamber of Commerce had moved. Yeah. So we really got the last gasp. Yeah. And uh, and it's interesting. I mean, when I you know when I and pitched it happened the, everywhere. Right. When I pitched the story to the reader, what anybody from outside of that neighborhood knows of that strip is the donut shop. But the donut shop didn't open, and I looked it up. It was like '73, '74, somewhere in there. There were That's other. That, there were other that, hot spots, you know, people kept coming back. Yeah. But that's what it's known for now, like if you talk about that block, it's sort of a destination for foodies for those donuts. Five years ago there was nothing to talk about. Yeah. That's actually our entree in the, in the world. Yeah. And by donuts, oh, okay. Because people think you're fucking crazy if you live in a street that has three digits, you know? Yeah. We're down here at 11,214. You know, yeah. the news people don't know how to talk it. Um, <laughs> it's really funny. But it's what Jesse Jackson Jr. correctly identified as the perceived remoteness of the far south side. Mm. And that's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> so, I was lucky. Found the right girl, found the right block, on the right street. My neighbors are cool. My, uh... Intellectual turf is my zip code, you know, in terms of history. William Burroughs, now there's a guy. <laughs> I, uh, I wrote something with him. You gave, did? I gave him something. Huh. I gave him a bunch of collages and a bunch of cut-ups and uh, wrote a story about a, a museum, the scene at a museum where in the middle of winter the pipes burst and the whole archives are encased in ice. Wow. Yeah, and he used that image in a book, so I said, cool. I That's collaborated great. with Burroughs. I met him once. I, I had the Yage letters. His, uh, his, his, his letters to uh, uh, Ginsburg about going down to South, South America and looking for the psychedelic paste. Mm. Yage. Yage. And there's a little, it's the original tiny book. I said, have you signed this? And he looks up at me and he goes, that's an old one. He croaks, right? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I really like it. Most people don't go that far. <laughs> okay, and I go here. Uh, this is a one-time-only book gift for you. Uh, yeah. Called the Chapter 23. And I was doing cut-ups from all the stuff I found at Chicago Historical. Mm -hmm. 
reports on the Haymarket riot. Uh, um, he looks at the collages and stuff. He goes, "You did this?" And yeah. He goes, "That's good work." Next, he was book touring, but he gave me a couple croaks. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like authors. I like Bradbury. I worship Bradbury until I outgrew him. Yeah. Um, like the Kinks. Yeah. I, I gave Ray Davies uh, dandelion wine, and uh, out of that, I think came preservation. But I can't really? be sure. Wow. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm buddies with them. I was their photographer for in That's the Midwest cool. for 78, 79, 80. But so yeah, I, I, was, I was very uh, happy that John and Bob wanted to do this project. I, I, I just see the fake parts in film too much. I'm, I'm too mm. analytical to get that suspension disbelief. You mean the effect, like the computer effects and stuff, or just well, that's all another that. thing, but just yeah, costuming. Yeah. And and how women won't wear period makeup because it makes them look harsh, and uh, mm. you know everything will be perfect in a a a, a, a historical sort of movie, mm. except the actresses still want to do their own makeup and. <laughs> So this is a strange journey we're all on, but here in Chicago, you run into such disparate shit, you know? Yeah. I just keep my eyes open. Sure. And the history thing is, I want to know what I'm looking at, you know? Yeah. Like those guys digging there? Yeah. I look to see how far down it went until you got the original clay that this town is built on top of. Yeah. It varies. So I'm inquisitive. It's good. I mean, one of the things, I mean, John, obviously you guys are in the early stages of what this thing will become, but he wants to somehow tie it into now, or the people that live there now on this strip, like what happened? Oh, absolutely. Of, you know, that would be, to show on, on some of this my, footage to uh, current residents. Oh, you to, have to, you yeah, have to. You have on, to tie it to, to, to on my, today. On my Rosalind uh, history site on Facebook, You've heard of it, I'm sure. I have. I can't. I'm not on Facebook. No, I, I mean, see, yeah. you've heard of Facebook. Yes. Just, <laughs> um, uh, three, we, three we, months. Three months. We've portaled straight to hell, in my view. So I, <laughs> I can't I, do I, it. I, I've been, I've been <laughs> on one of the outer rings, but I figured out how not to be. Yeah. I uh, have uh, this roles in history site has started off me and a couple photo collectors and a couple mm -hmm. genealogists and a couple neighborhood people and a whole bunch of Italians that wanted to document, you know, their culture. Yeah. And all of a sudden uh, it's 2,000 plus members and about 10% African American. Yeah. And uh, they're interested to see. Of course. As, as they put, what the fuck? <laughs> what happened? Yeah. You know? When I moved here, it was to live in a mixed neighborhood, you know? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, it's their streets. It's the wild hundreds. Yeah. I want to show you how wild the hundreds were even before you all got here. Yeah. Uh, and they're not all from the west side. They're, a whole bunch of them are just making that march southward, you know, mm -hmm. from, uh, from Woodlawn to Chatham. To so a whole lot of people know about shopping at Rosen, but they don't connect it with the community, and I, I think we're looking at white flight of about 60,000 souls. That's... And when, when, when do you, when do you start it at? This, start, this white, started that in white 66. Flight. 66? Okay. Gone by 76. Give it a, a solid 10 years. Yeah. 
and some local uh, businessmen predicted it 30 years uh, previous. Yeah. And they said, well, if they build Altgeld Gardens and, and they build Maple Park, uh, give us another 20 years. Yeah. It was almost to the day. But these are professional real estate guys who see the big picture. Yeah. But there's got to be a special place in hell for a real estater that does panic peddling and scares little old ladies into selling. Yeah. Um, it's really a large movement of people in peacetime. Yeah. So I call it Rosen refugees. Hmm. You know? Yeah. But I stay in the same zip code with my same phone number and my same wife and just look out my back window and, you know. And I was born on the same block as my dad was, so that, that's... That, that's a little town, big city. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I wish I could say that, but I'm from a country that no longer exists, so... How did this project, the, the filming, who started it, like, what was the idea? You know, I, I really can't remember. I'm, I'm going to have to guess it was Paul. Oh, and we met in you, high school. You met at Fanger, right? Yeah, we didn't, we didn't go to grammar school together. Okay. Although, we lived, you know, it's, he lived right over by Fanger, which was... Where's Fanger exactly? 11345 South Wallace. And, and you're both... Rock and rollers. Rock, were you in a band together? Or in no, high school? we were not. We were, I... Uh, I had a band in high school, and he had a band in high school, but we were friendly, and it was very interesting. The one of the one of the cultural cornerstones of our neighborhood in those days was the 111th Street YMCA. Mm. Every Saturday night, there was a dance at the 111th Street YMCA, and all of the hot bands that we were all in as kids, we always played, and then we would have battles of the bands, and it was you know Saturday night at the Y was it. Uh -huh. I mean, you you know, and again, the guys from a different, the guys that, TW5 or whatever it was, it was Jim, James Young's band. James they, Young's pre-sticks. Pre yeah, so well, yeah, when he was, our, you know, he's my age, so yeah. he, he was six. He would, his band would come to play at our, because we, we got to know him. He was a cool guy, and we would. He was at a different high school? Or? Yeah, he went to Calumet High School, oh, okay. which is south, further north and further west. Okay. Put us outside, oh, okay. and uh, and our band, the Buttes, B E A U T S. <laughs> we we beat him at, at the uh, oh. we beat his band at, in the battle of the band, even though they were a much better band. But because 111th Street was our territory, oh, yeah, so it was yeah, Roseland. So <laughs> and he, they, the, the game was rigged. Yeah, yeah he was just amazing uh, instrumentalist. I played keyboards, he could rip my ass. He was a guitar player, but he was a better keyboard player than I was. We, we weren't really photography, you know. Mostly the, yeah. back in those days, the, there would be one kid with the camera, mm -hmm. and he usually wasn't uh, into the rock and roll necessarily or the other arts. That, that something There was just a techie thing about uh -huh. it, a techie nerd. And oh, the, sure, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it wasn't so much an art form for the, anyway, the, well, the kid that would shoot for the school paper or whatever. Mm -hmm. but they weren't necessarily following Diane Arbus's career or, or yeah. you know. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, but Paul's dad gave him a Rolleiflex camera, I believe, when he graduated high school. Mm. And uh, I eventually got a, I eventually took a, a, a still photography class at Columbia College. I went to University of Illinois and left Roseland for two years. In um, what, what year was it? 67, 68. 67, you went to University yeah. of Illinois. 
and I and studied champagne, champagne, champagne Urbana. Yeah. yeah, I studied fine art uh, for uh, two years. For two years, yeah, and then I sort of got asked to leave. <laughs> you were invited to leave. <laughs> I came home, and I had an epiphany uh, caused by a certain uh, uh, fungus, fun fungi. <laughs> There's a controlled substance <laughs> that helps you. Controlled substance. Yes. <laughs> uh, that. Although I, I knew, I, I always knew I would be an artist from the time I was born, somehow, some way, some, but I didn't know exactly. And I realized as an only child, the thing that I did so much of was sit in front of the TV. Uh -huh. And I loved TV, I just loved TV. I knew every TV show, every actor, every, uh -huh. all the credits, who were the producers, who yeah. were the blah, 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 blah. And uh, this one night I just had an epiphany, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's television is where you know yeah. is what what formed you and so anyway I, I came back to chicago in disgrace <laughs> and that summer i had to get a i i always had a summer job but i had the worst i got the worst summer job i got a job as a, on the labor gang at uh republic steel mm -hmm. and that was a nasty fucking summer uh and i almost you know was uh, republic steel was where exactly east side it was east. It was by the water. Yeah, yeah, over right there, right yeah. in the lake. Yeah. Uh, but man, that was a nasty job. Yeah. What were you do? What was your job? Well, first I was uh, just dirt labor, and they would use up the college kids because for all the you know, it, it, there was a lot of Hispanic and, and black. Uh, I would say it was about fifty fifty mm -hmm. white to non white working at the mill in those mm -hmm. days, and all the kids my age, the, like the black kids and Hispanic kids who weren't in college. You know, they were there. You'd start out on the labor gangs, yeah. which is just the dirtiest, nastiest, life-threatening job as you could imagine. Well, they would give us college kids. They'd put us college kids on the labor gang, and they'd give us the worst jobs, so the lifers would feel well. At least, <laughs> well, at least I don't have to go and inside yeah. that uh, blast furnace and knock the bricks out with a you know. I mean, I, I was literally risking my life every other day in the yeah. joint, but. That was part of my punishment, uh, and uh, oh, for your disgrace <laughs> of college. Was that at the behest of your parents? Oh, or my father got me that job. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> this is the pulled, consequence. Pulled strings, <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, but then I was promoted to, uh, you know, in the steel mills, they're running steel, they're running scrap in to melt to make steel, Ooh. and then they're running the finished product out, and it's all done on, with the trains. Uh -huh. So they you, they you have a full component of uh, railroad workers, switchmen. Uh -huh. You have engineers switch, and switchmen, and switchmen, you know, you're always, you're, you're, shuff, you're shuffling all these cars and filling them with shit. Traffic control. Yeah, but you're riding on the, you oh, know, you're, you're, on you're the, riding on the, yeah. And, and plus the, the, the road beds are like mud and grease. So, I mean, it's really, yeah. You know, a lot of people got that had that job got severely, <laughs> severely injured. So you're operating an engine that's pushing these. No, there's you. You you're signal. You have a lamp, a lantern, uh -huh. and you're way down the the the, the line. You're uh -huh. hanging on ladders. Every boxcar has a ladder. Uh -huh. Every ore car has a ladder. And you, when the thing gets to the point where they're going to switch, uh -huh. you, you pull the switch, and then train pulls up, and then it backs up onto the other track. Uh -huh. 
Okay. And you have a lantern with which you signal the engineer forward, yeah. backward, stop. Right, because it's too loud to say. It's, you can't you yell can't, out. You can't yell voices in there. And yeah. I, for many years, my mother had my lantern. I was holding on. I had jumped off the train. And was holding, you were always holding on to your ladder. I slipped and I fell. And the, the, the lantern had a big loop handle. Uh -huh. And it was... <laughs> I, I kept it in my... Because the train ran over it while I was holding it. Ooh. And flattened it. But... You know, after that summer was over and I went back to school, I went. then I started Columbia College. For photography, you said. Yeah. How did you well, actually, I had television production. Oh, okay. But I took, yeah, you'd had that yeah. revelation. But I took still photography as a minor subject. Oh, okay. And that's when I got my first camera. Uh -huh. And uh, I probably had it by 1970. So this was right, right around 1970? 1969 was, 69. was uh, the summer I worked at Republic Steel. And the uh, summer semester, so it will be a year before we actually. Because you did. sent me that one picture of you guys before the draft, the yeah. draft, the day before the draft announcement. Yeah, and that was '69. I think it was. I think it was I, I'm, I'm kind of yeah. probably. Uh, I may very well be mythologizing that photograph. Mm -hmm. But oh, yeah, it that, was, that was the exact. That, 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 that was the exact that, night. But that was the feeling. Yeah. You see but it, that, very, that's but it very well could have. Been, but yeah. it very well right. could have been because. Yeah. Those were the those were the guys and those were the days and that's about we were about that age then about twenty. So what uh, did? Yes, yeah, so, and obviously some some of your friends went. Well, just one of those just guys. One more. Yeah, them. but many of my friends went. Yeah. But of that little gang. So anyway, you know, I still when I came back to the city, and I was going to Columbia College, and I was kind of I, it was horrible time, and I I had bought a motorcycle. Where were you living? Were you living my parents in, in oh, South Holland? No, South Holland. They oh, moved South to South Holland. Okay. And I just fucking hated the suburbs. Yeah. And I, my driver's license was rescinded by the uh, authorities, so I didn't, I couldn't drive. I didn't have a car, and I had to take a, the red bus from South Holland to Columbia College. And I was working at a print, a print shop for the Pullman Bank on 111th Street. Uh, it was really an awful time in my life, and. Everyone then had long hair, and I had long hair when I was in art school, but I decided, and I was the first punk. Yeah. I was the first one to just like, take it, scissors, cut my hair, like, and wear my south side black leather and, you know, skin-tight pants. Everyone was wearing bell bottoms. It was like, Columbia College, I was a f complete fucking outcast. Oh, yeah. Because they were all hippies. They were all, yeah. yeah they were all, and... Uh, I was just completely antisocial at that point. My band had disbanded when we all graduated the high school. The yeah. Buttes were no more. Funny, our drummer, Larry Drouse, his dad was a Chicago cop. And in fact, his dad got me my, because my, he was a police photographer, he got me my first camera, mm. a Rollacord for 30 bucks. But I was still playing music with in and out with, with various friends. Uh -huh. And uh, where would you play? Like, well, where would you play? There were always parties. Still the Y or like yeah, No, or? the Y was, we'd move, but there was always uh, bars, parties. There was, there, I mean, music was so important then. Mm -hmm. And everybody played in bands. One of the guys we're going to try and interview, Marco Mundo, who uh, was in, he, he, Marco was born in Italy, but he came to the South Side. And he was a wonderful singer. Uh -huh. And he, he played with JY. They had a band called Monterey Hand. It was the, the the last band JY was in before Sticks, and Marco was Marco was a fantastic 
entertainer and singer. Uh -huh. and, uh, but Marco kind of made up his own language. Uh, he made up all these words. You know, there were English words, but he used them. And, and, and we went to some music performance, and little Stephen was there. And he... Stephen Van Zandt. Yeah, yeah. And he... There was a... Who was it? There was a band, this outside band called Enough's Enough, Chip Rubarski, Chip's oh, Enough. Right, you know, Enough's yeah. Enough. Yeah, I remember that band. <laughs> well, anyway, Chip happened to be at this thing, and Steve and he were friends, and it, one of Marco's big get, he had, he had all these words, and we all picked him up in these hand gestures, uh -huh. and if you thought something was great, it's like, I hail that, or I, ha <laughs> or, I hail him, I hail you. Was, <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it was partially like Miss... Misunderstanding of the language? Or? No, no. No, he, he was, was doing this. Incredibly just, creative. Yeah. You know, I mean, another Z, it, Z for you, that meant the bottom. <laughs> and, and then it really was, and he, and he had these gestures he would do with it. Uh -huh. Crates of Z's, crates of Z's for you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's a little Steven and Chibs Enough, uh -huh. they see each other across the oh, I hail you, I hail oh, you. Yeah. And this is in Manhattan. Yeah. It's from fucking Marco Mundo and yeah. nowhere else. No, you were talking about uh, James Young's. Oh, James, that, well, uh, that was the band. He, he before was, Sticks. Yeah. That, was, that band was together, I think, about the time we did the, uh, the documentary, Monterey Hand. Monterey Hand, right. And he was also involved in the documentary. He was one of the shooters. No, or, he was just he hanging just, around. Just hanging around. Bunch, I don't remember exactly who all were. Were in the in the clique. It was yeah. myself and Paul were the primary. You know, Paul was doing. Pa, Paul's dad bought him a little Bolex, uh -huh. and that was a camera. And, and I don't. You know, but like I say, those years and those, we knew so many insane, crazy people that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we know. We just decided we'd go out and roll old-fashioned days because everybody'd be out. And the, the, had that been going on for a while? For the old yeah, for I don't know how long. Old-fashioned uh, days. But yes, it was a traditional every summer. And you know, I don't know what part, July, I think. Mm -hmm. And again, all the merchants would pull their you know gear, all their sail racks out on the And you said they'd dress up? Yeah, like... certain of them dressed up in old-fashioned outfits and stuff. And then it would just be mobbed with people. It was just a social event for Rosalind uh -huh. Heights in the... Uh, and the it was like days. a street fair kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it was like a yeah. street fair kind of thing. So, we decided to go out, and uh, we had we had an appreciation of what an unusual place we came from, because by that time, uh, at twenty, like I say, I had been to Champagne. Mm -hmm. You know, we all of us had broadened a little bit from, and and came to have appreciation for our neighborhood as such such a unique place. I think it was Bob that wrote, wrote me that it was just like everybody came from somewhere else. Like oh, there was all this huge mix of cultures going on there. And how was Bob connected to you and? Uh, I went to Bob, Bob and I were classmates, and he just fell in one. You know, he was a at again, Fanger. Or? Yeah, at Fanger, just kind of had the sensibility. You know, wanted you just like the same music. Was he in bands too, or no? He didn't get into. He played. He didn't get into bands till he got to Champagne. Oh, okay. Uh, and he and I went to Champagne mm. together. Bob wasn't really part of the filming of that, but Bob was. I became closer. I, Bob was a friend in high school, and it's kind of one of the again, of, you know, the certain group that had the certain artistic art kids, yeah, rock kids, 
culture kids. Did you have kids. Did you have much of an inkling of that art stuff before you got sent to those summer programs that you were? Taking? I I always I loved art. I painted. I drew. Yeah. Uh, before that. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't know how well educated I was until probably the, the great, you know, something that makes me feel so bad for kids today. At Fenger High School, on the second floor, there were two huge rooms. Those were the art rooms. And I think I told you there were two teachers, Mrs. Schlentz and Mrs. Smith. And they were both extremely cool yeah. women. And your sophomore year, your senior, your junior year, you could take art as a major subject, mm. which means you didn't have to take chemistry. You could drop, That's I, nice. I, you know, I dropped chemistry uh -huh. like a fucking hot potato, which I detested. Yeah. <laughs> you know, calculus. The next thing I got to drop was calculus and took art as a major subject. And uh, yeah. Mrs. Sh it was Mrs. Smith and Mrs. Schlentz. Mrs. Smith was tall, Mrs. Schlentz was small, and they were great pals. And she just, again, she's one of those persons that just, you know, changed my life. She took us down to see Ivan Albright. She took us down to see, in the 60s, she took us down to see Magritte. Man, if you don't even fucking know what a mind blower that was yeah. to a kid in the 60s. And uh, I was like, fuck. I, I knew I would be in the arts, in one way or the mm -hmm. other. And so anyway, after this going to art school, which I thought was a load of crap down in Champaign. So yeah, you were invited to leave, but you were studying painting and stuff there? or I, I started out, my father wanted me to be practical, so I took graphic design, and then sure, I took yeah. graphic design, I switched to sculpture. Oh, okay. Uh, but I was also painting. And uh, anyway, coming back, it was like, okay, but the real art form I'm interested in was, I thought, television, because it was the most influential thing on my life. Yeah. And then when I went to Columbia College, television was, like what used to television used to be before video uh, you know small it was like three big cameras on the floor in the studio mm -hmm. you know the news yeah that was television that didn't appeal to me but my minor still photography I, you know i got again i got a 30 dollar roller cord which is like a stripped down roller flex and the city of chicago it was just the streets it was yeah. like endless material you know this is what i love this this yeah. funky, skunky city and the denizens and the, yeah. the, the you know, and, and that was my real passion. So, you know, it was the, the, the Roseland filming old fashioned days. It was kind of this, you know, there was such a texture to the city of Chicago and going away to Champagne and stuff. It's like, you guys should come to Chicago and see how cool it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though. So, you know, we just decided to go out during old-fashioned days and shoot film and shoot stills, and we had no fucking idea how to make a... Yeah, so there was no idea of, like, a story or, like, no, a document, no, like, no, it wasn't... No, no, You were just going to film some stuff and then... Just film all the craziness and all of our friends, you know, and the eccentric characters. And there was, like, some great bums in uh -huh. you know, <laughs> on the street, and there was always shit going... You know, there, you know if you just went out on the streets of Roseland with a camera, you're going to see something. Yeah, you know, whether uh, it be a fight or you know who knows what. So how many days did you do this for? I, mean, I think that the whole thing lasted for a week, and sporadic. I, I was, I was in a you know if it was nineteen seventy, I'm trying to think what summer job. Oh, I was working at Pullman Bank in the print shop. Okay. So I had a summer job, but you know catches catch can in the evenings and that's in the weekend. I don't know if it comprised one or two weekends. 
And then after, in the evenings, we'd always be out there. What was going on there in the evenings, like during oh, the continuation? The, the stores were open till 9 p.m. Okay. So we were out, you know, every night till, and uh, you know, all the cars were cruising in those days with the great music on the radio and. Uh, oh yeah, there was a there was a great character. Talk about a character. Don August okay. was a bass player, and he had a band called the Plague. <laughs> and Don Don was like rocking. When Don was sixteen, he was playing bass in strip joints on Rush Street. You know, nice. Don was Don has to be dead. Yeah, I mean, he just lived, <laughs> he lived the rock and roll life one hundred and fifty percent. Was he older than you guys, or was he a, a year? Okay. Year or two, but his band, he had a great band, The Plague, and their keyboard player used to play the tambourine on his head. We all admired, <laughs> we all admired that. And some, of the, I think some of the band, some of the kids' bands were play. You know, one of the stores would hire them. Uh, you know, and, and could, some of those people went on to to be, you know, make their living yeah. as musicians and stuff. It was just wild and, you know, raucous, uh, colorful, fabulous sort of. The, you know, again, uh, Roseland was, uh, it's caused me to think about it, you know, thinking sure, about yeah. this. But, and I haven't seen any of this stuff, so it'll cause me to think about it some more. Who got, uh, Eric Hobsbawm, the historian, he's a Marxist historian. No. It's a great historian. They always go Marxist historian to, to try to slog him, but yeah. he's one of the, I've read all of his major histories of the length of civilization, and they're fucking fantastic. Yeah. And he's not grinding an axe. He's is it about like the end of the industrial age? That well, kind of the, stuff, or no, starting way back. But the, right. the last one is called the Age of Empire, or perhaps. But it's about the United States post-war into Reagan, and sort of those were the years. Again, you know, our parents went through the depression. They went through great hardship. Then they went uh -huh. through the war. But we lived in this, even though. It was a rough, tough neighborhood. There was this little golden period of prosperity, you know, right. where there were union jobs, pensions, time and a half for overtime, and everyone post-war to early sixties. Everyone 16. whose parents worked, yeah. yeah, you know, you lived okay, yeah, and you you could afford a guitar or a yeah. far piece of organ or any of that stuff. It was really sort of, I think, the 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 America's golden age yeah. in, in a way, and. Uh, and it was, it was just those times. Those were just really fantastic times. And the music, mm -hmm. you know, like this, you know, the hopes, the, the 60s rock and roll. And, and again, you see all your friends, they're Italian, they're Slovenian, they're Hungarian, they're Romanian, they're mm -hmm. every possible European. Sure, yeah. And, and, then, and then the whole thing was, but that was just kind of the twilight of the, of the gods because it was the neighborhood was starting to change yeah. from from white to black, which was because that was that was when white flight was yeah, that was, well, was white was flight going. was from the end of World War One, basically. Yeah, the South Side, it, right? <laughs> when the black people finally said "fuck this," and they came back, they moved into the South Side, and they, you know, and it, like I say, a few years ago when I was working for David Milch, <clears throat> I don't know why, I read the Studs Lonigan. Trilogy, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, but, you know, which took place in the, in and around Hyde Park, mm -hmm. roughly. What was this? What years was Studs Lonegan? Twenties, thirties? 
Uh, it was before the Depression because before the Depression, because his yeah. father was a painting contractor and they were quite prosperous uh, Farrell, until the Depression James and then Farrell, yeah, yeah James D. Farrell and then and then the family was destroyed economically mm -hmm. and uh, but it's that that's the whole history of, the, of this the South Side you know my parents and their gen their generation was always yeah when we got married we lived at 63rd Street then when you were born we lived at 79th Street and then mm -hmm. when your sister was born we lived at 95th Street and then we moved to Roseland and you know yeah and they, it's just they kept you know I, I, I was hoping if we can find you know there's that famous donut shop on Michigan South Michigan Avenue now that, that strip of South Michigan Avenue mm -hmm. and, and the, ma the majority of it it started at 111th Street Mm -hmm. And it ended at 115th Street, but it yeah. actually went further north and further sure, south. Yeah. But that was the main strip, and it was just prosperous. Yeah, you know, and it was because the people were prosperous. It was yeah. like there was fact the factories were still all operating. And when, yeah, right, and that but that's when they were. But that's when they were starting. Yeah, yeah, it was and, the, and just yeah. just that's really the cusp yeah. of it. How? What? Why? Why does that happen? You know, it's just like fifty years later. Yeah. In those days, now you're thinking the civil rights movement, all this. You know, so well. By the time I'm the age I am now, all that shit will be ironed out, and everyone will be friends, and it'll all be cool. <laughs> you know, that's what you yeah. thought. Look yeah, at we're solving these problems. We're fighting racism. We're blah blah blah. Furthest thing from the truth. And you it know, never goes away. You know, one black family moves in, in the block. The property, you know, psh, everyone packs up, and it's like whole groups of people moved. They, they moved my neighborhood. Most of them, they moved to South Holland. Mm -hmm. They moved to Lansing, mm -hmm. or they moved east to Oak Lawn. And and west. West neighbors were still west. 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 Yeah. yeah, and right. the neighbors were still neighbors. People, oh, you could leave your doors unlocked. You know, you can get the shit kicked out of you in a heartbeat in Roseland, but you weren't going to get shot in those days. Right. And home invasions and robberies and stuff. So that whole part of the story, I would like to, you know, when we start shooting interviews and stuff, go down to that donut shop and see. You know, oh, what, sure. What, what yeah. about the black people? What are, you know, what, what are they thinking? Because I often, when I visit my parents at the cemetery and drive back to the city, I'll drive through Roseland, mm -hmm. and a lot of the blocks... You know the houses and everything look, you know, they look fine. Yeah. You know, look, you know, ha having to think about why does that shit happen like that? Yeah. And like I say, that the whole history of the South Side, I call the the people that you know that I grew up with and that my relatives and stuff like the the white South Side tribe, because uh -huh. there's a certain you know if you stay if like so many of my friends that just kept moving to South Hall, you know they moved yeah. to South Hall, they moved to, and now they live in Crete. Now they live in India. Sure, yeah. And now they, you know. What year did your parents move to? 69. 69. I wasn't even living in Roseland in 70. And you were still staying with them in South Holland? Yeah. You were taking the bus in? Well, so I would drive my, with my friends. You okay, know, yeah. At night, they, you know, everybody had a car but me because I didn't have a driver's license. So then, yeah, you guys shot all this stuff for a week or so in 70, and then, then yep. you just put this stuff away. Yeah. And there was just nothing became of it. Nothing became of it. And what, so what inspired you to like revisit it all these years? Well, it's later? sort of one of those things that's like became legendary among us that, you know. So you just bring it up every few yeah, years like we have this yeah. stuff? And then I went to work in a factory on 119th and Halsted for a couple of years. What kind of factory? International Harvester Tractor oh, Factory. Okay. Where my, my grandfather had worked as a general foreman. My uncle Archie was working there and he got me the job. 
And during the war, my mother and her sisters worked there, you know, because yeah. of when they were hiring women, it was a family. And I went and worked on the assembly line for 19 months when I was married <laughs> and, rent, and living in Pullman. Mm. You were just renting a place? Yeah, or? renting a townhouse. Yeah. Uh, and again, the same thing. I had a factory job, which was a nasty job, but mm -hmm. paid well. Yeah. I worked all the overtime I could get. We had a, we were paying $110 for a month rent for a Pullman Row house, yeah. which we tricked out pretty, yeah. you know. My wife was working. We, uh, I ins better insurance than I had at, at, in the Directors Guild, which yeah. is a Cadillac plan. I didn't ever collect a pension, but uh, there was a pension had I stuck w with it. Although the place was closed before anyone, for most of them. What years was, was this now? This would be 72 and 73. 74, I went to work, uh, 73, I think I went to work at Camel Methuen Advertising. I finally got a downtown job. Uh, and I hated that. My marriage blew up, but every, my whole fucking life just went to hell, and I wound up broke. I mean, I was, on, I was at rock bottom. Uh, and uh, my friend Dave came through, and he was living in Missouri in the woods. But there were these people that also owned property near him. They were carnies. That's when you ran away with the circus, right? <laughs> That's right. I ran away with the, it was 19, it was uh, June of 1975 that I ran away with the circus. Yeah. But uh, back to old-fashioned days, yeah. it just, it was just, it, was, it really was a, a a glorious period, I think, in America. Yeah, you know, for, for people like us from working class families, yeah, who had this small prosperity, right? You know, so you didn't. There, there was enough left over to, from just existence. Yeah, you know, there was a little bit left over where, where people and and the parents that strove, their kids went to college, and the parents, a lot of them, didn't strive, and their kids went to jail. And to and watch that racial turnover, mm -hmm. and and when the neighborhood really started turning, where the where they, I mean, I left Finger High School. It was, I would say, ninety two percent white. I played mm -hmm. football. There was a number of black kids on our team. We were we got along well, and we you know, uh, I went off to University of Illinois, and my friends, another one, Gus Kavoris, who used to be my best friend, and we we haven't spoken for twenty five years, but. Uh, he was one semester behind me, mm -hmm. as was was Paul. I think Paul was once me. And that and that one extra semester that they spent at Fenger, it was it. It you know, totally switched the racial yeah, makeups. Yeah. Switched. Do you think? Was, I mean, can you track that to like a like the mills closing, or like was there some kind of economic reason? You know, it had to be an economic. Some kind of economic. Well, science. one of the economic reasons. First of all, it was just the history of the South. If you read Studs Lonigan, like I say, it's, it's, it was like reading about my parents, except there was a generation earlier than them. Right. And that story took place, started the young Studs Lonigan was story when he was a young man in his halcyon days was right coming up to the Depression, 1929. And when the Depression hit, it, you know, he winds up dying at the, yeah. by the last. Uh, last volume the last when I finally did read it when it was when I was working for David Milch it was it hit so close to home mm -hmm. that I knew that he was gonna die I couldn't read it I, I didn't read oh, the last yeah. 50 pages because <laughs> it was like I was reading my own story but it happened so Fender I would say in two years three years max 
change from 95% white to like 85% black. And then, you know, then it got violent. Then, then, you know, then there was conflict and all my old friends who were one semester younger than me, yeah. they all started going to karate classes and shit because they were getting in so many fights. Yeah. And uh, but can you see it just wasn't, a, a, you know, yeah, there were fights at Bangor, yeah. but not in the same way. There was conflict. Yeah. And, and again, there, there was yeah. always the boundaries. Okay. You know, yeah, growing up, rocks yeah, growing up, go growing up in Roseland, yeah. I mean, you, it's, it's interesting because to the West, there was a huge, unbuilt upon what we used to call, call prairie, and uh -huh. it actually was the prairie. But sure, yeah. like if there was a a block that hadn't been built on and was weeds, we'd go, let's go play in the prairie. And I remember I was in Texas one time in the carnival, and I was yeah. we were swapping yarns, and I was with these these Texas boys, these friends of mine. I go, yeah, and when we were kids, you know, we go and get in a fight and we'd go in the, we were in the prairie and the kids from the other block and we'd just have rock fights in the, the prairie and they go, yeah. the prairie? What are you talking yeah. about the prairie? You're in Chicago. I said, you know, like when there's a, there's like a, a, a block yeah. that's just weeds and they just fell down laughing yeah. that, that we could. So the prairie was like miles or it was prairie. But there was yeah. a, but a, a very large prairie just on, the, on the west side of our neighborhood. And it wasn't, and it went for a, quite a few blocks, and there was a train line that ran through it. And in the in the post-war era, there was a Nike base built in it. Oh, you know those missiles? Yeah, there? yeah, yeah. I've seen some photographs. And that, and, yeah, and that got abandoned, but that we used to play there. But on the other side was black. <laughs> Me and my friend Gus made a cannon out of a piece of like <laughs> out of a piece of and, fire and we, we got a box of M80s. Wow. And we made it, we found a piece of, we got a hold of a piece of pipe with a threaded yeah. end, and we hacksawed a slit into it so you could slide one of those M80s and yeah. the, the wick would stick up, and then you'd screw the cap onto it. And my, that International Harvester Factory, well, yeah. one of the products they made there was ball bearings. So they made steel. Oh, Jesus. Like, <laughs> when we'd play marbles as kids, I'd always show up with a bag of what we call them steelies. And they were solid. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and I was saying they were ball bearing, you know. Yeah. And anyway, but I would get these. I had a ball bearings that were exactly the diameter of the inside bore of that pipe. Yeah. We put it through a car door uh -huh. with an M80. Light the M80. Boom! Right through both sides of a car door. That was a wow. deadly weapon. So we used to get when the trains would come, which shoot it <laughs> over the train. Oh. <laughs> We so would they fire back? No. Nobody fired back no. at you from We never had any really bad uh, no. conflicts. But you rode your bike all through Roseland, but there's certain there was always boundary streets. This is the black side, this is the white side. Yeah. <laughs> but the great leveler in my perp was black music. Sure. You know, it was like, wait a minute, they they make all the cool music. They can't be that bad. <laughs> right. But it's, it's such, looking back from this point, of, you know, it's like the tribe, the white, yeah. the white tribe. So like, like at the, those, those Battle of the Bands, that was all white, right? Yeah. Like, although the Battle of the Bands, that was all white kids. Although we played, uh, we played at the talent, we used to have a talent show every year at Finger. We had some black kids uh -huh. singing backup with yeah. us, and that was like, yeah, right. So, but you know, it's interesting, music. Sports like the football team, black kid scores a touchdown. It's 
it's a touchdown for your team, you know? Yeah, sure. So, nonetheless, but how, how, you know, but also the economics was the people that were buying and selling the houses, yeah. you know, selling to blacks, and then there was federal subsidy programs for them to buy these houses so they could buy them easily. Sure, yeah. And driving the price down, and then there were the construction companies and the real estate developers that were developing those suburbs. Yeah. And that's where all of our parents were going and, and buying, you know, my mother would have been happy never to leave the, their little bungalow. My father wanted to show his own status and move into a suburban split level, which they did. Right. In, uh, in Holland. In South Holland. South, South Holland, yeah. Uh, South Holland today is 100% black. You know, like it's been happening literally since the end of World War One when all the black soldiers came back and said, okay, we just fought for our country, fuck you, we're, gonna, we're not going to live, we're going to live a better life. Yeah. And they settled in this, you know, Brownsville and that south side of the, you know, but they kept, they started moving more and more, yeah. moving away from the, the higher crime areas into the better neighborhoods, which were the whiter neighborhoods. And, yeah. and it's that progression continues to this fucking day. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> and obviously, no yeah. one ever once stopped and said, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, why can't we like figure out a better deal here where everyone can, you know, the old, same old thing, why can't we just live together? Why can't we just... You know? well, yeah, that's the Rodney King thing, right? <laughs> can't we all just get along? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It was yeah. like, the, you know, thinking in 1968, this is... The, you thought it would all be solved, like... I thought there would be no more... Yeah, we're, well, we're no more war, we're going to put an end to war, and we're going to put an end to racism. You can solve gonna, it all, yeah. Yeah. By, by singing yeah, well, by the time your I, guitars yeah. and, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> by the time I get Drum to circles. In that far distant future, when I'm, you know, the age I am now, well, all that shit will be history. Right. So how did how did it finally you got you and Bob and Paul get together to try to develop this thing into well, some over sort the of new years project? over the years there's been you know Paul, Paul and I would see each other and say hey we got to do something with it and I you know I was working on a lot of on projects he's working on what he's working on and et cetera, et cetera. Bob was you know off in New York working for NBC he he really wasn't going to have you know he wasn't part of the deal at that point point. Mm -hmm. and then you know like a few years ago. A couple of years ago, I think, I don't know, it came up again, and, and Bob had, you know, Bob was getting to the point where he had more, a little more time, but I think he was still at NBC, but he was had a lot more independence, and he, you know, started being talked about, and then Bob retired, I don't know, a couple of years ago, yeah, and I kept trying to. You know, convince Paul that we should just send it all to Bob because Bob wanted to look at it and stuff. And Paul was very covetous. I sort of he felt like like there's something important there, and he didn't want to let it go. You know, mm -hmm. there's something. I mean, it it, it 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 is. I'm very curious to see what'll happen now because it's the first thing I think. Oh, uh, you know, just let Bob cut all that shit together and put some music on it, and who gives a fuck? Yeah. That's not what's going to happen. We're going to start doing, I know we're going to start doing interviews of people, you know, and it'll lead to other things. But I think, you know, the... the, the You're going to tie it to the time, that all this time I don't that know passed, I don't know where it's going, yeah. but the importance of that time and place yeah. to those of us who lived there, right. uh, you know, is, is and the culture it generated. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Paul's wife, Carol, mm. was his high school sweetheart. They've been married since, you know, I don't know how long, since he got out of college. But they, that's, they've been going out it's since like going high school. going out 50 years. Yeah. yeah. And uh, once he graduated from IIT, they bought a row house in Pullman for like three cents. Right. And, you know, paid it off in 10 years. Mm -hmm. they, and they've been living there the entire time, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, and again, Paul's, you know, what Paul has done just on his own volition yeah. is become the premier historian of that Rosalind Pullman Calumet region with, yeah. with amazing collections yeah. of stuff, you know, that, that just because of his background in historical society and his whatever reasons, uh, he was able to, you know, and his wife always had a advertising she had a job for many years, so they, you know, their house, they pay, they live modestly and live their lives as they, as they wish. They're still together. So, at any rate, I saw Paul, we talked about it again, and a little bit, and then, so what are you going to do with those years that were remaining? And he said, well, let's, let's go to New York. Let's go visit Bob, mm -hmm. and we'll, you know, we'll talk yeah. about this. Like, get the three of us together. Yeah. So I did, you know, there they were, one here, one there, mm -hmm. and we, uh, Paul had brought a lot of the stuff and packed it up and shipped it off, and, you know, there's other friends, too, that on Facebook I see, you know, like I said, this, this like, again, my first thing was, like any project that I get involved in the beginning, well, I'll let everybody else do the work. And then it'll be great, you know, and then it'll be done, it'll be great. But <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, that's never the way it works out. Yeah. But as I, again, as I start thinking about it, you know, Bob says, well, you know, and, and Bob is one of the smartest people I've ever known. Yeah. Plus, he's really funny. And, you know, he says, you got to get interviews, got to get interviews from who's ever alive and et cetera, et cetera. And then I thought, how far, I mean, it can keep going because, okay. It's, you know, because basically the interview is going to be 99% white male, two women, two of the, the kind of the, what you might call, they weren't hippies, but they were like the Dolly Bird mod, <laughs> you know, the camp follower, art, artsy girls. Uh -huh. Valerie Wilding, they found her dead, OD'd a number of years ago. She was a beauty. Yeah. She was part of our crowd. And then... Uh, Lovely Sandy Steph, this really cute blonde, she uh, moved back to New Zealand where her family was from and she died of cancer a couple of years ago. So there's not, a lot of the girls are. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, it, oh, what, what about the neighborhood changing? What about the, that? What, yeah. Like I said, I've never, no one's ever processed that. I haven't. Like what that did to you guys? Well, you know, for, well, what, yeah. you know, there are a lot of people that said, oh, I wish the neighborhood was still there. It was so, you know, when you go on Paul's website, everyone who grew up in Roseland will, you know, uh, it was paradise on earth. It was, you know, yeah. it was the, and, and, and it's like, I was sort of glad it, it liberated me to get out of, otherwise, yeah. you, you might have never got out of that orbit, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> and so many of them, just did. They just kept moving south, and I see them on various yeah. you know, Facebook pages and sites, and they just followed in their parents' footsteps of doing what the white tribe continues to do. My cousins are continue, you know, or playing that same old. And it's like, why? Why can't someone 
let's stop it. Let's rearrange the deal so that sure, everyone yeah. can do a little better. But there's again the economics of dumping out of those houses, selling, you know, those that are selling the houses, the federal programs that allow the people to buy the houses. Yeah. And then the the also the seeking of like for my father to to move from our little bungalow to that suburban split level was sort of a you know a prestigious thing you know you've you've yeah. you've climbed another rung in the ladder you're moving on up yeah moving on up you know, yeah from the old neighborhood where you know because the old neighborhood my, my you know when my father that who grew up in Pullman yeah in the depression I mean it was pretty it was pretty funky pretty rough yeah. pretty they were poor during the depression, everybody that all that there was nobody had shit during the depression. Well, cool. This is uh, yeah. It's probably enough, enough for, for a start for, for right. me. I'll just show you. A, I'll I'll shut this off.